Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. Thanks to Third Love for supporting Muller, she wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash AG to find yours today. And thanks to Clutter for supporting Muller, she wrote. When it comes to making life easier, Clutter is the undefeated champ. Their on-demand experience takes the self out of self-storage. Clutter has great sign-up bonuses. Get $50 off your first month when you sign up at clutter.com slash AG and use code AG at checkout. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Mueller, She Wrote, and our ongoing special coverage of the Redacted Mueller Report. I'm your host, A.G., and with me, as always, are Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. How are you guys? Hey, good. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, yes. I just found out that there's a doctor uh, of political science at San Francisco State University, I think it's it's SFSU, uh, who has assigned this series to his students or her students, I, I don't know, I th- it seems like a male energy, but I don't know, wherever you are on the spectrum. They're, there, they're students, probably safe to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we're now being taught in universities. So. That is That's amazing. Awesome. I know. I'm, all of a sudden I was like, uh-oh. I'm yeah. re- I feel really responsible for a lot of things now. Yeah. And I, I think uh, they, they tweeted, the professor tweeted back, like, I can't wait until we get the big dick toilet wine essays. <laughs> 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 I was I like, love it. All right, cool. So now I don't feel so... Like yeah, you. I don't know why, because I, I only briefly saw the tweet and I thought that was so cool, but I, I got female energy. I don't know which way is like more or less offensive, but yeah, my brain just went straight to like, oh, female professor, but I, there's no, there was no tell. There I wasn't. I remember there being a tell. Yeah, and yeah. I think for me, it's because when I was younger, most of our professors were men. Oh, and I just or think more. about what the future should be. Is that what it was? Oh. Yeah. Nice. We're all on the same page, though. Yeah. Yes. So we got to do more dick jokes and keep these kids entertained. Yep. Absolutely. Sarah, all right. Yes, yes. Yes. Jokes coming. <laughs> Get it? Okay. Nice. So <laughs> how, how are you guys? Good start. Yeah. Well, great. Yeah. Now yeah. you're great. Better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we're in college now. <laughs> Sweet. It does feel like a crash course. Yep. Yeah. It it and it really is. And I, I hope that in the future these like this will be taught as a class just on its own because there's so much to it 
Um, Seth Abramson could teach a whole class on this stuff. Totally. He could write books forever. He, yeah. And he could be like, and you remember how you'd have to go to college and the professor would make you buy their book for the class? He, he would oh, fit right like in. like different editions? Like, yeah, yeah. last year's edition, edition is suddenly valueless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because so much has changed since then. It's a strange system. Yeah. yeah. Well, today, students, we are covering volume two, section two, subsections G and H, and they include Trump's efforts to prevent the disclosure of emails about the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Uh, and Trump's further efforts to have Sessions unrecuse himself. In my notes here, I have the June 2106 Trump Tower meeting. Uh, and that's, you know, funny because that's way in the future. <laughs> but although, I mean, you know, he Trump did try to get Lewandowski and Dearborn to tell Sessions that he could only look at future elections. So mm-hmm. the 2106 Trump Tower meeting could fall into play. Right. <laughs> when Trump refuses to leave office, as we've talked about. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's or still president. One of his many crotch fruit down, yeah. the, down oh, the line. No. Yeah. Wow. Oh, um, we have to vote. Just come on, guys. Vote. Uh, anyway, we'll be going over pages 98 through 113 today. So uh, if you want to pause now, read it or you, we'll read it for you. You don't even have to just follow along. Uh, but let's start with the evidence, because as I've always said, every t- every episode, the overview is just a, you know, a brief outline of the evidence. So let's just start with the evidence. And uh, this is uh, the obstructive act of trying to prevent the disclosure of the emails regarding the 2016 Trump Tower meeting in June. 9- it was June 9th. Um, first, Trump learned about the existence of the emails in mid-June 2017, uh, a year later, which was the same week that Trump asked Lewandowski to tell Sessions to limit the investigation to future election interference. Um, for these emails, uh, we reach back into Volume 1, Section 4A, uh, and a senior administration official becoming aware <clears throat> of the emails in mid-June. The emails stated that Veselnitskaya offered to provide the campaign with some info that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia as part of, of the Russian government's support for Trump. And Junior responded, if it's what you say, I love it, especially <laughs> later in the summer. And then, of course, Junior, Kush, and Manafort met with Veselnitskaya, several other Russians, Rob Goldstone, uh, you know, in Trump Tower, uh, one floor below uh, Donald Trump's office. And according to the written answers provided by Trump to the special counsel, because he wouldn't interview him because he's such a manly man, <laughs> uh, he was not aware of the meeting or the emails at any time prior to the election. So the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence sent a letter to the administration asking about all meetings between June 2015 and January 2017. uh, But the Trump org attorneys uh, didn't become aware of the meeting until the first week of June 2017 when they began interviewing the meeting participants. And the Trump organization provided the emails that, you know, that set up the meeting. They provided those emails to Mueller at that time in in, around June of 2017, about a month after uh, Mueller was appointed. And Mark Corallo, who was the spokesperson for Trump's, Trump's legal team, said that he learned about the meeting in June of 2017, too. And that's weird because he was on the plane uh, mm-hmm. when they drafted the statement about the meeting. But that was, I think, later. So anyway, uh, Priebus recalled learning about the meeting from Sean Hannity around the same time. So that's kind of when everybody learned about the meeting a year after it happened. Those who weren't there. Interesting. Right. I like that Donald Trump had his office literally right above the room that it happened in. I know. That's like amazing. there's a special little uh, hole in the ground. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, I imagine he has cut out, you know, that chair that you can like hook yourself to on the side of the stairs and it just slowly kind of brings you down. Oh, it's, yeah. It's more but for from like the, the elderly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he has. He oh, just, that's so funny. He just goes over in his wheelchair. It's like the Fox in for Bel Air, right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of like <laughs> slides down into it. the evil air. Nice. Now we need a parody of Donald Trump singing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air oh, theme song. I, I could live without it, but, you know, <laughs> yes. I bet we could make it happen. The Fresh yeah. Prince of My Lair. <laughs> Ooh, that was <laughs> the fastest. With hype. a naked cat? I think mm. I've ever, yeah. He's grabbing somebody by the pussy, but no, it's uh, just a naked cat. He is. See, now we're thinking Austin Powers. Yep, we are. We're yeah, mixing it all together. <laughs> Uh, and, and this leaves out that whole idea that, you know, first of all, that Junior didn't go up and tell his dad about the meeting. Wrong. Uh, but that's not in here. And then also remember the phone calls, the three block calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Turned those out aren't, to, I guess, not be him. Yeah. His those, yeah. But it was a NASCAR guy and Howard Lorber. Lorber. Why was he belong? That's just weird. I guess it happened. They were like really good real estate friends of Trump's um, money friends. Trump doesn't have any other kind of friends, I don't think. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that sometimes my phone says scam likely when it's like a <laughs> random number or even someone I know. I wonder when Trump gets that. He's like, is it an actual? It like, always just says one scam of my likely. Scams? Yeah. <laughs> when Trump calls that's anyone. That's his caller. I do that's for <laughs> Con man calling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but you know, we had posited that perhaps Lorber and the NASCAR guy could have been in the room and had him on speakerphone. But anyway, that's not in here, and mm-hmm. that could be part of a wider counterintelligence investigation I showing that so. Trump is a Russian asset. But 
I don't know. None of us know what's in the counterintelligence stuff. It's so huge and giant. And uh, of course, now under billion, billion, billion bar. That'd be a cooler name. Yeah, I'm going to call you billion bar. Billion. One billion dollars. I think we've done this before. I was going to say we have done this. Deja vu. That might have been it. Yeah, yeah. All right, billion. (laughs) Uh, Then on to page 100 with Trump directing his communication staff not to publicly disclose information about the meeting. And this is where Josh Raffel the wrangler of the Trump children and Hope Hicks recall speaking with Kush and Ivanka about the emails and that they would inevitably be leaked. And on or about June 22nd, Hicks attended a meeting in the White House with Trump, Kush and Ivanka. And according to Hope Hicks, Kush said he wanted to provide Congress info about the meeting and Kush brought documents to the 20 to this White House meeting. But Trump told him, I don't want to know. Don't show me. And he <laughs> shut the conversation down. Yeah, he brought receipts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, basically this kind of sort of shows, you know, that Trump didn't really know about the meeting and people were trying to tell him about the meeting a year later. And he was like, I don't want to know. I don't even want to know. Yeah, He's smart enough to know that he doesn't want to know. But this is what Hope Hicks says. And so, mm, you can know, we trust you her? Gotta take that with a, a grain. Even She's mysterious. Home Hex thousands not. She kind of reminds me of the Melissa Rote logo. But like she's not like that justice seat. It's like very confusing. She just looks like it. Like her silhouette <laughs> could easily be. Well, yeah, you know, okay. Yeah, I guess I on a more that. like very physical optic level. Yeah, I yeah, can see that. Visual. She did something nice with her hair. Yeah, yeah. But morally to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> so after this meeting on June 28th, Hicks viewed the emails. She saw them and she recalls being shocked uh, because they looked really bad. And she told Trump about them and he seemed upset, too. Uh, because so many people knew about them already, and that could lead to them being leaked. But later that day, Hicks, Kush, and Ivanka met with Trump, and Kush told Trump that the June 9th meeting wasn't a big deal. It was about adoptions, uh, but there were these emails, and they looked really bad. (laughs) So Hicks told Trump she thought Junior should release the emails to get out ahead of the story and warned Trump that the emails were really bad. Trump insisted he did not want to know about them, he didn't want the details and shut that down again. And then Trump told the group not to be proactive in disclosing the emails because he believed they would not leak. So now we've got people saying, oh, they'll definitely leak. And now we've got some testimony saying that they won't leak. Right. Mm-hmm. And then on to page 101, subsection three, that's about Trump then directing Junior's response to the press about the meeting. And this is what we were all like, whoa, that's so obstructiony. <laughs> Uh, and this is the meeting that took place on the plane back from the G20 summit. While Trump was overseas with Hicks, Rafael, Kush, and Ivanka, Hicks and Rafael learned that the New York Times was working on a story about the June 9th, 2016 meeting. And the next day, Hicks told Trump about the story, and he told her not to comment because responding to the press was the ultimate sin. That's the ultimate sin. Wow. Explains a lot. Yeah, sure does. Perspective, not yeah. shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. Right, right. Responding to the press. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But on the flight home, Hicks showed a draft statement to the press that Junior wrote to Trump, but Trump told her it revealed too much information, and he told Hicks to revise the the statement to say that Junior took a brief meeting about the Russian adoptions and to leave out the other stuff about the emails. So he revised it. Hicks sent the revised statement uh, via text to Junior, which read, It was a short meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to stop by. We discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children that was active and popular with American families years ago and was since ended by the Russian government. But it was not a campaign issue at the time and there was no follow up. So that was the the message Trump wanted Junior to deliver. Mm -hmm. Um, Hicks Hicks text concluded, are you okay with this? attributed to you, meaning this is what your dad wants you to say. Mm-hmm. You cool with this. Junior wanted to add a few words. He wanted to indicate that primarily they discussed adoptions, not just that they only discussed adoptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hicks said she was fine with it, but her but the boss man was worried it would invite more questions. <laughs> so she that like verbatim boss man. Yep. That's come up before, right? Boss Where, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, super mobby. <laughs> um, but she ultimately deferred to Junior and his lawyer. Uh, and the full statement that eventually was given to the Times read as follows. It was a short introductory meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to stop by. We primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children that was active and popular with American families years ago and was since ended by the Russian government. But it was not a campaign issue at the time, so there was no follow-up. I was asked to attend the meeting by an acquaintance, but was not told the name of the person that I would be meeting beforehand. So here is Junior adding in that they primarily discussed adoptions, not only, Mm -hmm. and that he was asked to attend the meeting. That way he's not leaving out the emails. Mm -hmm. So he's going against dad. He's going against the boss man. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lies. Yeah. (laughs) They're all lies. All of them. 
Yeah, nothing like, uh, oh, well, we discussed dirt on Hillary about the Ziff brothers and she didn't really have anything immediately and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that was totally left out. Exactly. So Mueller is clear to point out that the statement did not include the offer of dirt on Hillary by the Russians. Oh, look what I just said. (laughs) Or any discussion of the Magnitsky Act, for that matter. Um, Hicks recalled Priebus then learned of the statement and wanted more information because he was sure the emails would leak. And Trump said, no, we gave our statement. We're done here. <laughs> and later on that Why same... Why can't he follow that with Sharpie Gate? I know. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> no, we gave the statement. We're done here. No. Yeah, no, not when it's this. Later, not when it's something as important as Sharpie Gate. Exactly. And later on, oh, by the way, if you're listening to this 20 years from now, Sharpie Gate is when Trump, uh, the Hurricane Dorian uh, is approaching. It's here now in the Carolinas, but when it was approaching Florida, he saw a spaghetti map and he decided that it was the, the hurricane was going to hit Alabama. But the map he was showing, because he said that in a tweet, it could hit Alabama. And then Alabama was like, nah, bro, it's not coming anywhere near here. Don't be a dick. Shut up. And so then he got mad and he got caught in a lie or some or just being wrong. And so he took a map of the hurricane's path and took a Sharpie and drew a little <laughs> end on it to include the little bottom of Alabama so that he wouldn't be wrong. And now he's in trouble for that, too, because apparently that's a felony, falsifying weather documents from NOAA or the National Weather Service. And so anyway, super fun. Mm-hmm. Good times. And now they're putting out more official statements on the matter. Yeah. Yeah. They came out and said uh, one of his counterterrorism uh, guys said, oh, I did it. I showed him the, the wrong map. And that's why he did that. Or he didn't even say that he did it. It's just that's why he thought it was going to hit Alabama. It's so dumb. So dumb. It, and it's it's going on and it keeps going on and he keeps quadrupling and quintupling and sex sextup- sextupling down. Gross. I don't want to know about that. <laughs> but we'll just skip sex and go right to the seven. But it's like 13. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so romantic. We'll skip sex and go right, right to, to the, the seven. seven. <laughs> so anyway, he keeps doing this. And meanwhile, that is something a really cool guy would say. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know what seven is, but I'm excited. <laughs> The seventh erogenous zone from Friends. Remember oh. the episode of Friends? One, two, four, two, four, two, four, eight, two, four, five, two, four, five, six, six, six. No, okay, just me. <laughs> nice, Monica. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm totally interrupted you. Uh, it's all right. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, Sharpie Gate. Because mm-hmm. uh, he did it with a sharpie, so that's why it's called Sharpie Gate. But uh, anyway, that he, he, yeah, he's he wouldn't. He's not letting that go because now the hurricane is in the Carolinas and it's actually really extremely dangerous. It devastated the the Bahamas. And uh, here he is just like, Alabama was really, and it's just so dumb. So when, when he said here, no, we gave our statement, we're done here. That's why Jordan was like, why can't he do that with Sharpie Gate? Mm-hmm. So later on the same flight, same flight, Hicks says Trump was on the phone with his personal attorneys and handed the phone to Hope Hicks. The attorney told her they were working with Circa News on a separate story and she should not speak to the New York Times anymore. Mm. And this is funny because when you hear the story, you're going to laugh. Uh, I don't think I knew about this. I might, but I don't think so until I until I read this in the Mueller report. And what seems to be missing here is a Corallo being uncomfortable with the whole thing because he thought it amounted to obstruction of justice and eventually resigned because of it, as did Josh Raffel and Hope Hicks left on the same day, too. I don't think it was because of this uh, G20 or, you know, the, the Air Force One, you know, press release doctoring. But uh, Corallo did, though. He was spokesperson for for the uh, legal team. And I remember him saying, there was public reporting that he was like, this is obstruction of justice. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But wait, it gets weird, right? On page 103, uh, and the section about the media reports on the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting, the Times ran the story before the Trump's plane landed. <laughs> in, addition, in addition to the statement from Junior, the Times published a quote they got from Corallo on behalf of the president's legal team, suggesting the meeting might have been set up by the same firm that produced the Steele dossier. The name of the firm isn't mentioned, but we know it to be Fusion GPS. Corallo also worked with Circa News on a story published an hour later that questioned whether the Democrats arranged the Trump Tower meeting to frame the Republicans. Hicks was upset about Corallo's public statement and called him up, called up Trump to tell him. And then, uh, you know, because Trump didn't approve any of this. And so I think this might be why Corallo actually left. Mm. Okay. Uh, because he got in trouble for this shit. And the next day, Hicks and Trump called Corallo to yell at him for his statements. Corallo told Trump the statement had been authorized and further observed that Junior's statement was inaccurate um, and a document existed that would contradict it. He was referring to the emails. Mm-hmm. 
Hicks responded saying that only a few people knew about the emails and they'll never get out. And I remember that quote. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, but no, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Corrala took contemporaneous notes of that call, documenting that that's what Hicks had said to him. But Hicks told Mueller she didn't recall making those comments and always believed the emails would be leaked. Hmm. So there's this whole back and forth between people who thought, like in one camp that thought for sure these are going to get leaked, and one camp that thought these will never get leaked. But you have Rob Porter and Priebus on your team, the two giant, giantest moles ever in the history of moldom. You all have to understand that these are going to get leaked. Mm-hmm. But two days later, Junior tweeted out the emails redacted emails after being told the New York Times was going to publish them. <laughs> so they were leaked. And later that day, the media reported that Trump had been personally involved in crafting Junior's statement to the Times. Mueller then says over the next several days that the president's personal counsel repeatedly and inaccurately denied the president played any role in drafting Trump's statement. Sarah Sanders repeated that sentiment to the public. But several months later, the president's personal counsel told Mueller that the president dictated a short but accurate response on behalf of his son, Trump then changed his story, saying it was irrelevant whether he dictated the statement because basically it's not a crime to lie to the press. <laughs> he said that. Uh, interesting redaction here on page 105. It says, on July 12, 2017, the special counsel office uh, re- redacted, Trump Jr. redacted, related to the June 9th meeting and those who attended the meeting. Those redactions are for grand jury secrecy, so I can only assume they have to do with that Junior probably testified. We've seen clues throughout the Mueller report that maybe Junior testified to the grand jury, and I think that might be what's under there. Um, Finally, Mueller says a week later, Trump met with Lewandowski and reporters from the New York Times and told them he didn't know anything about the meeting at the time, but thought that most politicians would take that meeting. I would take that meeting. Would you take that meeting? I would take... (laughs) You did take that meeting. Fucking shut up. So, but I mean, there's a lot... There's not a lot of evidence in here that Trump knew about the meeting. It's not in here at all, as a matter of fact. So I think when we get to the analysis, we're going to find that this doesn't amount to obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. Although it is weird to me that he would help draft and craft the statement on Air Force One and have that not be obstruction of justice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, we were so sure that he was more involved. Yeah, totally. We did. He technically could be, I guess, but legally speaking, he's probably clever enough to get away with it like he is an idiot in a lot of ways but he could have known exactly what to do and that would make a lot of sense but also if he didn't do it he didn't do it but i wouldn't rule out that just because he's getting away with it that he's totally innocent. yeah but it's also none of it's mentioned in here and and what Mueller generally does is unless he was good enough to to keep everything away from Mueller, which he hasn't been successful at so far because usually what Mueller will do is he'll say these are kind of weird and we looked at this and maybe we looked at the phone calls from Junior uh, to, you know, to those uh, block numbers, uh, but there wasn't sufficient evidence to show. Mm-hmm. Like usually he'll bring it up and say it amounts to nothing or yeah. we didn't have sufficient evidence to charge at a criminal level. It's not even mentioned in here. Yeah, so, I so think that would that's be really too interesting. clean almost, right? Is that <clears throat> what you were thinking, Jordan? Yeah, that makes sense. Which makes me think it's in the counterintelligence investigation folder. Oh. Yeah. That would also explain Yeah, I do feel a bit of a sense of we're not through with this yet. <laughs> One way or another, yeah. But right. I don't know. Was it Kush just trying to be like a good little, you know, Don Jr. and impress his dad if his dad didn't know this was going on? Was he just trying oh, to... Oh, his father I'm sorry. Yeah, Don okay. Jr., not Kush. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think of them the same in my head sometimes. But yeah, was Don Jr. just trying to like suck up to his dad maybe? Like, yeah. And then, of course, we know in volume one when he, you know, when Mueller said he didn't, you know, indict Jr. is because he's just... A little suck up who didn't know that this was illegal mm-hmm. um which i can't bite that still blows my mind yeah um but because i mean you could argue that none of these guys can have inte- intent because they all think that they're above the law but mm-hmm. that doesn't i guess that's not a, a it's, it's almost presidential in american history because it reminds me of george bush like just trying to impress his dad they're all just like weirdly trying to impress their fathers and making very bad decisions in the white house and Daddy issues. Be, yeah, yeah if don jr becomes president i'll, I'll just laugh because you know, not to cry, but it just seems like they I'll might just move. Yeah, that too. That's always an option. <laughs> that's what's happening Jordan with C. Yeah, I just think that's what's happening with these feet. Yeah, they're in their own little world, and it seems like they actually, you know, are effective. Unfortunately, and yeah, who knows? It it might. You know, sometimes it pays off to be stupid. Yeah, they're they're getting away with a lot. They seem to be, and uh, but like I said, this could all be under the counterintelligence umbrella. And we right, know right. McCabe said a couple of months ago that yeah, it's possible that Trump is an asset, a Russian asset, <laughs> and this would have something to do with that. That'd that be so cool. Yeah. yeah. So guys, we'll be right back with the analysis on the three criteria for obstruction of justice for this particular act. This episode of Mueller She Wrote Special Edition coverage of the Mueller Report is brought to you by Third Love, and I am totally obsessed with Third Love. Every single bra I get from now on, and I've replaced all my bras with Third Love bras. 
Uh, it's women run. It's uh, they're disrupting the male-dominated bra industry, which I don't understand why it was ever dominated by men. Uh, but they use real women's bodies in their ads, which I love. Uh, so you get rolls and wrinkles and tattoos and piercings, and they use real women's measurements to find the perfect fit for you. They're also philanthropic. Um, they're size inclusive, and they don't charge more for larger size stuff, which a lot of you know companies do. And they're you know they're, they're the industry leader with 70 sizes, and they have half cup sizes because half of women fall in between cups, and I'm one of them. So so I really appreciate this. These these fit me perfectly. So here's how it works. You jump online, you take the Fit Finder quiz. It takes less than a minute. They use 12 million measurements from real women to help find your perfect size and shape because they take, take cup shape into account as well. And then they ship it to you and you try it on at home so you don't have to be in weird dark fitting rooms. There's no pushy salespeople chasing you around stores with tape measures. Then you have 60 days to wear it, wash it, and make sure it's perfect for you. And if it's not, return or exchange it hassle-free and cost-free and third love will then donate it to a person in need and that is the perfect fit promise and it's amazing i love that they're doing this like i said i replaced all my bras with third love i'll never shop anywhere else for my bras they fit me perfectly all the issues i had with other brands like digging straps and spillage have been solved thanks to the perfect fit promise and now i know if something's not right they'll have my back every time the customer service is bar none the best i've dealt with and these bras are quality they're breathable lightweight literally the most comfortable bra i own so third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone so right now they're offering our listeners 15 percent off your first order so go to thirdlove.com slash ag now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15 percent off your first purchase that's thirdlove.com slash ag for 15 percent off today you'll be glad you did Okay, welcome back. We're on to page 105 and the analysis of the evidence we just went over. So first, the obstructive act. On at least three occasions between June 29th, 2017 and July 9th, 2017, the president directed Hope Hicks and others not to publicly disclose information about the June 9th, 2016 meeting between senior campaign officials and Veselnitskaya. On June 29th, Hicks warned the president that the emails setting up the June 9th meeting were, quote, really bad, and the story would be, quote, massive when it broke. But uh, the president told her and Kushner to leave it alone. And early on July 8th, after Hicks told the president the New York Times was working on a story about the meeting, the president directed her not to comment, even though Hicks said that the president usually considered not responding to the press to be the ultimate sin. And later that day, the president rejected Trump Jr.'s draft statement that would have acknowledged the meeting with was with an individual who I was told might have information helpful to the campaign. The president then dictated a statement to Hicks that said the meeting was about Russian adoptions, which the president had twice been told was discussed at the meeting. The statement dictated by the president did not mention the offer of derogatory information about Clinton. <clears throat> and each of these efforts by the president involved his communications team, which was directed uh, at the press. And uh, they would amount to obstructive acts only if the president, by taking these actions, sought to withhold information from or mislead congressional investigators or the special counsel. On May 17, 2017, the president's campaign received a document request from the Select uh, Committee on Intelligence that the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence that clearly covered the June 9th meeting and underlying emails. And those documents also plainly would have been relevant to the special counsel's investigation. But the evidence does not establish that the president took steps to prevent the emails or other information about the June 9th meeting from being provided to Congress or the special counsel. That's the difference here, right? It's not the public. It's Congress or special counsel. And the series of discussions in which the president sought to limit access to the emails and prevent their public release occurred in the context of developing a press strategy. The only evidence we have of the president discussing the production of documents to Congress or special counsel is the conversation on June 29, 2017, when Hicks recalled the president acknowledging that Kushner's attorney should provide the emails uh, to whomever needed to, he needed to give them to. So we have no evidence of what the president discussed with his own lawyers at the time. So basically what they're saying here is that it only obstructs justice if you prevent it from going to law enforcement officials or Congress, which he didn't do. He just prevented it from going to the public. So he obstructed justice to the public, mm -hmm. but not criminally to mm -hmm. a law enforcement agency. So nexus to an official proceeding, as described above, by the time the president's attempts to prevent the public release of the emails regarding the meeting, the existence of a grand jury investigation supervised by special counsel was public knowledge, and the president had been told the emails were responsive to congressional inquiries. To satisfy the nexus requirement, however, it would be necessary to show that preventing the release of these emails to the public would have the natural and pro probable effect of impeding the grand jury proceeding. As noted above, the evidence does not establish the president sought to prevent disclosure of the emails through those official proceedings. So nope, nope. And then on to intent. 
Uh, it's almost doesn't matter because <laughs> you need you need all three, and we just don't have the first two. But the evidence establishes the president's substantial involvement in the communication strategy related to information about his campaign's connections to Russia and his desire to minimize public disclosure. The president became aware of the emails no later than June 29, 2017, when he discussed them with Hicks and Cush, and he could have been aware of them as early as June 2nd. 2017, when lawyers for the Trump org began interviewing witnesses who participated in the meeting. The president thereafter repeatedly rejected the advice of Hicks and other staffers to publicly release the information about the meeting, and the president expressed concern that multiple people had access to the emails and instructed Hicks that only one lawyer should deal with the matter. And the president dictated a statement to be released by Trump Jr., and in response to the first press accounts of the June 9th meeting that said the meeting was about adoption. So, here we have the same information over again. He, he lied to the public, not, not to uh, Congress or law enforcement officials. Mm -hmm. But as described above, the evidence does not establish that the president intended to prevent the special counsel's office or Congress from obtaining the emails, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The statement recorded by Corallo that the emails will never get out can be explained as reflecting a belief that emails would not be made public if the president's press strategy were followed, even if the emails were provided to Congress and the special counsel. Hmm. So nope, nope, and nope. <laughs> meets none of the criteria yeah fair enough i guess yeah it's kind of like was that the voice or no x factor right where they just do the x's the oh yeah yeah makes me think eh. of that mm -hmm. no golden ticket mm -hmm. bummer yeah but i mean it's real though i mean the fact you know you can't it can't be criminal obstruction of justice unless you're preventing mm -hmm. law enforcement and co or congress and this just doesn't include that it's just the people and and his followers his trump supporters are fine with it we're not that's kind of what it boils down to if you're yeah. fine with the president lying to you and minimizing things because it would look bad there you go yeah exactly that does get left out of these conversations a lot too because it's so much of a focus of well he didn't find anything that was juicy enough to indict and that's all they focus on not to mention the fact you know, you can point to Adam Schiff's amazing monologues when he's like, it might be okay with you if whatever, whatever his format was. Um, because there's so many you things that are just... You might think this is all right, but I yes, don't. Yes, exactly. And you might think this is all right, but I don't. Awful right. but lawful. Right. Right? That whole thing. All right, on to part H. This one's pretty quick. And Trump furthers his efforts to have Sessions unrecuse himself again. Uh, page 107, subsection 1, he again, Trump again, seeks to have Sessions reverse his recusal. So rewind a little bit back to May 2017 when Trump finally returned Sessions' resignation letter with not accepted written on it in Sharpie, by the way. Uh, this is before Trump bashed Sessions for recusing when the New York Times reported Trump helped draft Jr.'s statement to the press about the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting. So during that time, uh, at the end of May, Trump took additional steps to have Sessions reverse his recusal by calling him at home and asking him to unrecuse himself. According to Sessions, Trump asked him to unrecuse so he could direct the Department of Justice to investigate and prosecute Hillary. So this wasn't just about unrecuse so that you can shut down the Mueller investigation. This was also about unrecuse so that you can start an investigation into Hillary. And Sessions heard him but didn't respond. So he heard but didn't listen. And he didn't reverse his recusal, nor did he order an investigation into Clinton. In early July, Trump asked Rob Porter what he thought of Associate Attorney General Rachel Brand and if he thought she was on the team. And Trump asked if Porter thought Brand was interested in being responsible for the Mueller probe and whether or not she'd want to be Attorney General one day. <laughs> Porter told Mueller... Does that sound good to you? Yeah, sound good? Sound good, buddy? So Porter told Mueller that Trump asked him about Brand because Porter knew Brand, they were friends, and Trump asked him to feel her out and keep in touch with her. And Trump later asked Porter a couple times in passing, hey, you spoke to her yet? Talked to Rachel Brand? But he didn't because he was uncomfortable with the whole task. Um, Porter told Mueller he understood, like, the reason he was uncomfortable with it is because he was sure that Trump wanted to find someone to fire the special counsel or end the Russia investigation. Did so, he, he told Trump to feel her out? No, Trump told her. Trump told Porter to feel. Okay, her still weird. I'm like, why would anyone instruct? He's like, your friends, your friends, go talk to her. Does she want to be attorney general? <laughs> hey, hey, is yeah, she on yeah. our team? Hey, right. hey, yeah. I just think of him like you know, actually kind of filling her up. I just imagine, oh. yeah, they're not a great guy. But oh, Porter's you were looking for a the, second base joke. I was, but uh. it only works with Trump because Porter's the uh, he's the domestic violence. Yeah, he's type. the abuser. Yeah, yeah, different jokes there, but 
actually no jokes there sometimes. Yeah, very sometimes sad. just not. Yeah. Sometimes it's just crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, McGann recalled that he and Trump discussed the fact that if Sessions were no longer AG, the special counsel would report directly to a non-recused attorney general. Oh, Trump learned how the government works. <laughs> um, both Hicks and McGann also recall. We, we're sitting there pausing like, oh, my God, if he gets rid of Sessions, we're in trouble because he's going to put a new AG in there that's going to do his bidding. And no, no, no. And he's not going to recuse himself. And here we are with Billiam Barr. Um, so anyway, both Hicks and McGahn also recalled that Trump uh, brought up Sessions' disloyalty repeatedly uh, at that time. And in addition to criticizing his recusal, he raised other concerns about his job performance with McGahn and Hicks. So that's kind of what's going on. He also brought up Kennedy and, and Holder and Roy Cohn. Uh, he'll come up later. But it, it's just this whole pattern of trying to get Sessions to recuse himself mm -hmm. and just bashing him and bashing him and bashing him and bashing him until finally we know what happens, but we'll get to it uh, right after this break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Summer's almost over. It is time to clean house uh, or, you know, Marie Kondo your life if that's what you want to do. And if you want to do that, you're like me and you're looking to free up space because I, I don't like clutter and I like to have like a lot of different things in their own place and everything's organized. And self-storage is always an option. But what if there was a way to store your stuff without breaking your back or spending a ton of money? That is where Clutter comes in. You get, these guys are so great. Uh, the world's largest on-demand storage provider. And you know I'm all about convenience. Um, I'm very, you know, we're all very busy. And when it comes to making life easier, Clutter is really the best. So you find an affordable place to stash your things. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of been tough to do that. It's either really expensive or you have to move everything yourself. But now it's, it's simpler than ever before. You can just sit back, relax, and Clutter will do the work for you. Here's how it works. For a low monthly rate, Clutter will schedule a pickup time to show up, pack your stuff, and move your stuff to storage. Then they'll do a photo inventory of your stuff so you can see exactly what you have in there, which is great. And so if you need to retrieve anything, there's no driving down to your storage locker, digging through your stuff, hoping it's in there. You don't have to worry if it's actually still in your house. You can just contact Clutter and ask them to bring you anything you need. And it's delivered right to your door in 48 hours or less. You don't pay for packing or delivery. Plus, they have a price match guarantee, so you'll always get the lowest storage rate. They're the world's largest full-service on-demand storage experience, and they do all the work for you, so stop wasting time and money, scheduling movers, vetting storage facilities, just stop it. Experience the future of storage with Clutter. And they have a great sign-up bonus for our listeners. You get $50 off your first month when you sign up at clutter.com ag. That's on top of Clutter's no-hassle moving, online inventory management, free pickup and delivery, and price match guarantee. On top of all that, You'll get $50 off your first month at clutter.com slash AG. See why clutter is better. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are on page 109, and we're going to talk about Trump's additional efforts to have Sessions unrecuse or direct investigations covered by his recusal. In the fall, Trump continued to urge Sessions to reverse his recusal, kept doing it, considered replacing Sessions with an attorney general who would not recuse. On October 16th, Trump met privately with Sessions and said the DOJ was not investigating individuals and events he thought they should be investigating. According to contemporaneous notes taken by Rob Porter, who was at all these Sessions Trump meetings, uh, the president mentioned Clinton's emails and said, don't have to tell us, just take a look. Okay. Um, Sessions didn't make any promises that the DOJ would comply, and two days later, Trump started tweeting, Wow, FBI confirms reports that James Comey drafted letter exonerating crooked Hillary Clinton long before investigation was complete. Many people not interviewed, including Clinton herself. Okay. So now he's just watching Fox News, listening to conspiracy theorists, and he starts tweeting out shit that he thinks should be investigated by the Department of Justice, basically, you know, poking at, at Sessions, like, oh, you're, I hate you, I hate you. Mm -hmm. So Comey said under oath that he didn't do this. It's obviously a fix. And, and where is the Justice Department? Trump tweeted again October 29th. There was, an, there was anger and unity over a lack of investigation of Clinton and the Comey fix and concluded, do something. Then again, December, five days after Flynn pleaded guilty to lying about his contacts with the Russians, Trump met with Sessions in the Oval Office. Guess who was there? Rob Porter. And the president again suggested Sessions should unrecuse himself, which Porter linked to taking back oversight of the Russia investigation and directing an investigation of Hillary Clinton. According to Porter's notes from the meeting, Trump said, I don't know if you could unrecuse yourself. You'd be a hero not telling you to do anything. Dershowitz says POTUS can get involved can order AG to investigate. I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to do anything or direct you to do anything. I just want to be treated fairly. 
that to me shows that you know that it's wrong to mm-hmm. do that but whatever uh sessions responded we're taking steps whole new leadership team professionals that will operate according to the law Sessions also said he didn't see anything improper, which Porter thought was noteworthy because it was in conflict with previous discussions about Clinton because, uh, you know, Sessions said he didn't see anything improper with the Clinton stuff. And that's not been his position before, but he took it to be mean Sessions was just reassuring the president that he was on his team. Uh, at the end of December, Trump told reporters it was too bad. Sessions recused himself. Then in January, Trump brought up the idea of replacing Sessions and told Porter he wanted to clean house at the Department of Justice. Porter also recalled Trump saying during a meeting that one of his biggest failings was that he had not surrounded himself with good attorneys like Roy Cohn and Jay Goldberg and criticized Sessions and the special counsel investigation. And then throughout the whole rest of 2018, the next year, Trump continued to criticize Sessions through tweets and interviews. Mueller outlines a whole bunch of tweets and statements criticizing Sessions and his recusal and that he's not investigating Clinton, urging Sessions to investigate not just Clinton, but McCabe, Strzok, Page, or FISA abuse, uh, the Steele dossier, Fusion GPS, the Clinton Foundation, and the illegal surveillance of the Trump campaign. Uh, and Russian collusions by the Democrats. And he says, come on, Jeff, you can do it. The country is waiting. (laughs) This is all going on. And finally, in November, November 7th of 2018, Trump replaced Sessions with Matthew fucking Whitaker. Uh, That's big dick toilet wine. And that's where the section ends. So, yeah, so it it was a relentless onslaught of just anger and making shit up and trying to get Hillary investigated after Mm -hmm. going after Sessions. And so then finally... Uh, and and Matthew fucking Whitaker was um, Jeff Sessions' chief of staff. And remember, we found out recently that his financial disclosure forms were never vetted properly. Uh, and they found that there was a they called it an administrative error. It's just it's just a mess. So let's go over the analysis really quick. It's on page 111. Um, in for an obstructive act to determine if, the, if Trump's efforts to have the attorney general unrecused could qualify as an obstructive act, it would be necessary to assess evidence on whether those actions would naturally impede the Russia investigation. That inquiry would take into account the supervisory role that the attorney general, if unrecused, would play in the Russia investigation. It would also have to take into account the attorney general's recusal covered other campaign related matters. The inquiry would not turn uh, on what attorney general sessions would do. Uh, if unrecused, but whether the efforts to reverse his recusal would naturally have had the effect of impeding the Russia investigation. On multiple occasions in 2017, President spoke with Sessions about reversing his recusal so that he could take over the Russia investigation and begin investigating and prosecuting Hillary Clinton. For example, in early summer 2017, Sessions recalled the president asking him to unrecuse, but Sessions did not take his directive. When the president raised the issue again in December of 2017, the president said, according to Porter, not telling you to do anything. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to do anything or direct you to do anything. I just wanted to be treated fairly. <laughs> the duration of the president's efforts, which spanned from March 2017 to August 2018, and the fact that the president repeatedly criticized Sessions in public and in private for failing to tell the president that he would have to recuse, is relevant to assessing whether the president's efforts uh, to have Sessions unrecused could qualify as obstructive acts. He doesn't say anything else besides that. So it doesn't seem like he's coming to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's up in the air. Um, for a nexus to an official proceeding as described above by mid-June 2017, the existence of a grand jury investigation supervised by Mueller was public knowledge. In addition, in July 2017, a different grand jury supervised by the special counsel was impaneled in the District of Columbia, and the press reported on the existence of this grand jury in early August 2017. Whether the conduct towards the attorney general would have foreseeable impact on those proceedings turns on much of the same evidence discussed above uh, with respect to the obstructive act element. So, yeah, that's so interesting how because it's obviously the implication of it is if he does unrecuse himself, he would then go on to serve Trump and his, you know, investigative desires, essentially. But they're only looking at the efforts to get him to unrecuse. And that's entirely different that you can't talk you can't like charge someone for what could have happened in the future basically yeah and it doesn't seem to me like he's saying there's substantial evidence Mm -hmm. to indicate this but he's also not saying there was insufficient evidence he's just sort of like here's the here's the thing that's interesting Mm -hmm. um but for intent he says there is evidence that at least one purpose of the president's conduct towards sessions was to have sessions assume control over the russia investigation and supervise it in a way that would restrict Mm -hmm. its scope 
By the summer of 2017, the president was aware that Mueller was investigating him personally for obstruction of justice. And in the wake of the disclosures of the emails about the June 9th, 2016 Trump Tower meeting, um, see volume two, section two G, it was evident that the the investigation into the campaign now included the president's son, son son-in-law and former campaign manager. The president has previously and unsuccessfully sought to have Sessions publicly announce that the special counsel uh, investigation would be confined to future election interference. So I knew that that would come into play and intent later on. And uh, shortly after Flynn pleaded guilty, uh, well, Sessions remained. But in December 2017, right after Flynn pleaded guilty, the president spoke to Sessions in the Oval with only Porter present and told Sessions that he'd be a hero if he unrecused. Porter linked that request to the president's desire that Sessions take back the supervision of the Russia investigation and direct the investigation of Hillary Clinton. Uh, The president said in that meeting that he just wanted to be treated fairly, which could reflect his perception that it was unfair that he was being investigated while Hillary was not. But a principal effect of that of that act would be to restore supervision of the Russia investigation uh, of the attorney uh, to the attorney general, a position that the president frequently suggested should be occupied by someone like Eric Holder and Bobby Kennedy, who the president described as protecting their presidents. So his own words get are his downfall in this particular element anyway. And a reasonable interference or a reasonable inference from those statements uh, and the president's actions themselves is that the president believed that an unrecused attorney general would play a protective role and could shield the president from the ongoing Russia investigation. So it seems like we have in the first act of the the whole, you know, uh, hiding the emails and putting that false statement out to the New York Times, None of that meets any of the three criteria for a a criminal act of obstruction of justice because he lied and and committed crimes against the public, not against Congress and law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And this seems like I don't feel like there's enough evidence for an obstructive act or nexus to a proceeding, but I think that there was intent here. So Yeah, I agree, the intent. But the intent is, it seems almost like easier to sort of lay out right because it's only conceivable intent it's hard to to, like really really prove but he does he proves it with evidence and the fact that he does that is uh pretty solid yeah so i think in in uh this section uh for g and h we have a no 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 and a no no yes i think that's what we've end up ended up with um, and that those that's the sections, G and H. And you can join us next week. We're going to cover sections I and J. And this is about Trump ordering McGahn to deny the president tried to fire Mueller. And I think that this is going to be a yes, yes, yes. Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, like that Destiny Child song. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And <laughs> that's I a really w- good impression. Of that. <laughs> well, I was actually doing uh, when Harry met Sally. But, nice, nice. Um, yeah, the cafe scene. I'll have what she's having. But uh, this, I think, Trump ordering McGahn to falsify a document and and lie that he that, that's huge obstruction of justice. And I think it's going to meet all three. We'll see. And then also Trump's conduct toward Flynn, Manafort, and a redacted harm to an ongoing matter person. Probably Roger Stone. So put some beans on that. And that's going to be pages 113 to 133. Uh, and we'll go over that next week, next Thursday. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, and then we'll be in Seattle. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. we have to record it on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, real quick, last off for me before we sign off here. Uh, amending my last statement. Intent is actually usually the hardest thing to prove. That's what I, I was thinking because, and I thought that that was what you were pointing out, was that no. it's interesting here that they've, he's got him on intent. Yeah, he made it seem really easy. <laughs> when <laughs> I was he, like, oh, it's the easiest thing to prove. <laughs> when he doesn't have like a substantial or sufficient evidence, or at least he doesn't say that mm-hmm. for uh, obstructive act and nexus to a proceeding, but he's here he's got this clear evidence laid out for intent. Yeah. I thought that's what you were getting no, at. No, is no, that you were no, saying, I was just getting so swept up in how clear, how blatantly clear it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. I should have brought that up because I, I thought that I, I was agreeing with you that the, like that's odd too that he's got he's clearly defining that intent is yeah. happened here but doesn't have the obstructive act and nexus which are way easier to prove right yeah it's interesting it is all right well thank you so much for listening thank you students i'm very excited that you're with us um i'm a student <laughs> we're yeah. all students students of life yeah <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> that was dumb. Uh, my name's AG, and I'm Jaleesa Johnson. And I'm Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact checking and research by AG 
and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Hi, I'm Harry Lickman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. M-S-W Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.